Episode 1, Caesar's Struggle with the Ubii and the Eberones. Welcome back everyone. I'm glad that you tuned back in. In this episode we will talk about Gaius Julius Caesar coming to the Cologne Dowland, talking about the Gauls and the Germans in general, and about the Eberones and the Ubii who lived here. And the question that they really live here, well, let's find out. It's 58 BCE. Gaius Julius Caesar, a Roman general and politician, attacks Gaul and the next years he would conquer all of Gaul and put it under Roman rule. But hold up, you might say, Caesar and the Gallic War? Why? Isn't that a podcast about Cologne? Why all that Roman stuff all of a sudden? Well, the history of Cologne starts with Caesar. Without him and the change he brought to the region, Cologne later wouldn't exist. Caesar is the first to mention and write about the people who lived in the Cologne lowland or in proximity. And you all might know Caesar as the big dictator who ruled the whole Roman Empire. But this time period we are talking about, it's still his way up to rise to power. In 58 BCE, Caesar was just a small governor in southern controlled Gaul. But from there, he used the opportunity to attack other parts of Gaul and in the end attacking Gaul as a whole for Rome. When Caesar slaughtered his way through Gaul in conquest of personal fame, glory and power, he did just that. He slaughtered a lot of people. How many will always be up for a discussion? Caesar himself claims that he killed one million and enslaved another million. If you compare that to the size of the population of that time, this is a lot of casualties. But let's not get really lost in numbers because I suck at math anyway. But I always want you to remember, Caesar was a real professional regarding propaganda. His written account of the Gallic Wars has been passed down to our time. Many students were tortured with it in school in Latin class, including myself. But nonetheless, it is a remarkable piece of contemporary history. And you always have to remember that no other ancient general has ever written about himself and his wars in such a detail as Caesar did back then. Yet, we always, always must remember that his reports are a one-of-a-kind piece of propaganda in many, many ways. It only puts Caesar's view of events in place and furthermore it has all the bias and sense of superiority in it a Roman aristocrat like Caesar was had for the so-called barbaric world. Sorry to say that but killing hundreds and thousands of people just for personal glory brings up the question for me if not Caesar was the real barbarian in this story. Did I just insult the greatest or one of the greatest generals of all time? Well, maybe. He acted mostly within the borders of his time and the moral standards. And I don't want to get lost in Roman history, but many colleagues before him, in the last hundred years before him, had done the same thing, conquering parts of Greece or North Africa or the Middle East. They all did that, and Caesar just went to the place where he could still conquer something, and that was Gaul. But in Gaul, Caesar also went beyond these borders. The war in Gaul made Caesar very rich, of course. The gold price then dropped by a quarter because of the mass of golden riches he poured back into Italy and Rome. And he would also use that money to buy his political power over time. And my second point, and sorry for the spoiler, but you must probably know this already, he didn't live under a rock, Caesar would eventually start a civil war at the end of the Gallic Wars to gain ultimate power of Rome. And while the whole empire drowned in a bloody civil war all across the Mediterranean, it is surprisingly the new conquered Gaul that comparatively stayed calm and quiet with no unrest or revolt. I assume that probably after eight years of total war and slaughter that Caesar had inflicted, there was no one left to resist who was still alive or able to resist. 
And this brings us to a question, of course. If these are the Gallic Wars, why are Germans involved in it? The fact is pretty simple. It has to do with Roman perception of Central Europe. You always have to remember the Romans would always, up until Caesar, look at places that were close to the Mediterranean. And they didn't really know what laid beyond the Alps, so in today's Central Europe. The Romans had been in touch with the Gauls for centuries because many Gallic tribes even lived in northern Italy and became Romanized during that time when Caesar lived. The Gauls even sacked Rome a few centuries before Caesar and were feared by the Romans. So it was a great propaganda coup for Caesar for him to claim, hey, I am the one that crushed those Gauls that sacked and pillaged the city many centuries ago. I ended that. And now they are subordinates of our empire and not the other way around anymore. Now it's getting complicated when you try to define what Romans considered as Gauls. Because the Gauls were not a united nation. The Gauls were Celtic tribes that lived in modern-day France, Belgium, Luxembourg and Switzerland. And of course the question is now who were the Celts then? The Celtic people were a broader term for an Indo-European group. The Celts lived and settled all over Europe and Great Britain since the Iron Age around 1200 BCE. Remember I was talking about those people who lived in tribes and would always attack each other and the Celts were one of those. All that the Celts had in common was that they shared a cultural identity regarding religion and languages. But as I mentioned, they were divided into several tribes. They would build up alliances for a while, but splitting up again, and waging wars and raids to each other. Caesar knew that, and he used their discord, and successfully played all the different tribes of the gods against each other for his benefit in the beginning. But why am I talking in past tense? Because there are still some Celtic people in Europe the Celts wouldn't just disappear after being conquered, they would merge into Roman culture and mix with other tribes and cultures. But even then, there are still some Celtic cultures in Europe still alive today. Well, most mostly. Places where the Celtic culture is still up and high, for example Wales, Scotland, Ireland and Brittany. Sadly, in most of these regions, the languages of the Celts are slowly dying out, only Wales is an exception because after many centuries of suppressing the language by the English government, it is a compulsory subject in school. And the people there are really interested in remodeling their own identity as Wales. What's the name for people who live in Wales? I forgot that, sorry. So let's summarize the term Gauls. Romans defined Gauls as a Celtic people who lived mainly in today's France and Belgium. In addition to that, the border of Gaul was up until the left bank of the Rhine River, so far into modern-day Germany. Technically, yes, today's Cologne was in Gaul, according to the Romans. So now we got a hold on the Gauls. Now let's get to the Germans. The Romans called the people who lived across the Rhine to the east, Germans. And just a side note, when I talk about Germans here, I mean the Germanic tribes and not the citizens of the modern-day Federal Republic of Germany. It can get confusing in English language because a German could mean both. The modern German language actually differs between that. Germanen are the ancient people lived here and Deutsche is the modern term for us Germans today. At that time, the Romans knew very little about the Germans because the first encounter with the Germanic tribe was just 60 years earlier. In 113 BCE, a few Germanic tribes and the Roman army fought a battle against each other for the first time and the Romans lost this battle and were nearly obliterated by the Germans, being outnumbered by them 10 to 1 in troops. And the next two battles that shortly happened after, they were also lost for the Romans. 
From then on, the Germans were feared warriors, but gladly at that time they were far away from Rome. For the Romans, the Rhine defined the border between the Celtic and the Germanic world, but remember, that is the Roman perspective. So you might guess what I'm leading at. It is far more complex than I just said. Because borders at that time, they were not as firmly defined as they are today or as the Romans themselves wanted them to be. People would roam around and cross rivers, mountains and valleys whenever they had the need for it. They could only be stopped if another tribe successfully denied them the access. And at the time of the Gallic War, several tribes of the Germans had already set foot on the left side of the Rhine, settling there for many, many decades. And of course, some Celtic tribes did likewise. So the border between Celtic and Germanic cultures became more and more indistinct. Let's recap. The Romans divided the people north of the Alps in Central Europe into two groups. The Gauls in modern-day France, Belgium, Luxembourg and Switzerland. And they were a subdivision of the Indo-European Celts that settled all across Europe. And the border of Gaul in the east was the Rhine River. On the right bank of the Rhine lived the Germans all across Central Europe, in Roman perspective, of course. But you have to remember, in the first century BCE, Germanic and Celtic tribes already lived on both sides of the Rhine. So let's head back to Caesar and his Gallic Wars. Now you understand why the Germanic world also got drawn into the war. Because when Caesar had the goal to conquer all of Gaul, he would eventually get to the Rhine River and to the place where later Cologne would be founded at. In the Rhineland, Caesar encountered several Germanic tribes on the right and left bank of the Rhine. Some were hostile to the Romans and some were friendly and became allies. One of the tribes who did the latter and became friends with the Romans were the Eburones. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce it in English. You have to tell me. Because when... Germanic tribes heard of Caesar's invasion of Gaul in the 50s BCE. They wanted a slice of that pie as well. Their thinking was like that. But if the Gauls were being busy fighting against Caesar, they could step into the power vacuum. Well, that was their conclusion. You know, it's free real estate then, if you know what I mean. The Eberones were one of those tribes that hoped to get benefits. So who exactly were the Eberones? That is again, you might have guessed it where it gets complicated again. It is again complicated because historical research has so far assumed this, that Caesar got to the Cologne lowland. And when he got to the Cologne lowland, he met the Eberones. And the Eberones, as I mentioned, had sworn allegiance to Caesar after the first encounter with him in 58 BCE. But when Caesar moved on to conquer other parts of Gaul far off into the west of today's France, the Eberones and the chieftains reconsidered. They came to the conclusion that it would be good to break that alliance. With Gaul in turmoil, it seems that parts of it were now there for the taking for the Eberones and they didn't need the Roman protection anymore. Instead, they thought if Caesar was not busy with the Gauls, it would be a good time to attack him. And with Caesar having heavy fights in Gaul, the Eberones thought let's kill two birds with one stone and eliminate two of the biggest threats in the area to gain control for ourselves. One of the leaders of the Eberones, called M. Biorix, teamed up with other Germanic and Celtic tribes from the right side of the Rhine. Together, for example, with the Treviri, they turned on their former ally in November 54 BCE. So this year's harvest in Gaul was a poor one, not only because of the war, but also because of some climate conditions that were not really favorable. And because of that, Caesar knew that it was really hard to supply one big winter camp. So because of that, Caesar came to the conclusion that 
would be best to split up his winter camp, cause if you have one big camp, it is harder to supply it with food and wood to get it through the winter. So he established several winter camps in the east of Gaul. One of those winter camps was put into the territory of the Eberons, because after all, the Romans thought that they were their allies. You might think this is stupid of Caesar, but you remember, up until modern time, nobody fights a battle or a war in winter, don't they? Or don't they? In 54 BCE, the Eberons and Traveri attacked their winter camp in Eberons' territory and totally crushed it. 9,000 Romans died on this encounter, nearly the whole camp. This marked Caesar's biggest defeat during the whole campaign in Gaul. One battle had cost him a fifth of all of his troops stationed in Gaul. The betrayal of course caught the Romans by surprise and they have thought that the east of Gaul had been secured. Remember, the Eberons and even the Traveri considered themselves as allies of the Roman Empire after all. So of course Caesar was enraged and later in the fall of 53 BCE he got his revenge and crushed the Eberons in a battle and pillaged their settlements. And in addition to that, he also invited neighboring tribes to get in on the action. You want some loot? Be my guest, he said to them. And it seems like Caesar did a really strong blow against them. That's what he writes in his account of the Gallic Wars. But the leader of the Eberons, M. Biorix, escaped the grip of Roman power. He fled to the right side of the Rhine, into Germania, leaving the stage of history for good. We never hear of him again. This probably means he saved himself. And here we get to the common misconception I just mentioned earlier by historical research. Because former research always suggested that the Eberons were the ones living here in the Cologne lowland and that they were all killed by Caesar and then the region was uninhabited. Even the primeval forest began to grow again in the Cologne lowland, according to Roman sources. This is still a very common opinion and many publications still print this version, but there was by no means any archaeological evidence found to support this theory. And there's a lot of deviation to that story, because Firstly, the Eberons are today considered as a back then newly organized tribe consisting both of Germanic and Celtic tribes. And secondly, they didn't live in the Cologne lowland after all, but several hundred kilometers away in today's Belgium and Netherlands. Ambiorix is actually a national hero in Belgium today. And Ambiorix's name, his suffix Rix is sounding pretty Celtic and not German at all. Maybe you know the French comics of Asterix and Obelix, two Gallic warriors fighting against Caesar every time. And you hear by their names that they are Celts as well. It is true, the Eberons were indeed beaten by Caesar in 53 BCE. But they didn't die out because of that, neither did a genocide occur to them. It is assumed they just dissolved as a military unit after their defeat and they joined several other tribes as it often happened in that region. Alliances in the Germanic Celtic world were most of the time not permanently. Up until this day we don't really know who exactly lived here in the Cologne lowlands just before the Romans came here. All we know is somebody lived here but we don't really know who it was. And this leads us to the Ubii. And the question is, of course, how do the Ubii fit into this story? The Ubii will be very important for Cologne's later history. And I just want to mention that this word is even hard to pronounce in English as well. Ubi? I would call them Ubi. That was, would be more German, in my opinion. But I will stick to Ubi. Ubi. Oh, man. 
So again, the UBE will UBI, so again the UBI will be very important for Cologne's later history. Why we will know very soon. The UBI settled close on the right bank of the Rhine, so they were actually in Germania how the Romans perceived it. This brings us to the question: Are the UBI Germanic or Celtic living in that borderland of the Celtic Germanic world? That was a long and is a long debate in history research. Well, first let's hear what Caesar had to say about them. He described the Ubii in his account when he prior was describing other Germanic tribes on the left bank of the Rhine. So I would like to quote Caesar here. Quote, on the other side, they border on the Ubii, whose state was large and flourishing, considering the condition of the Germans and who are somewhat more refined than those of the same race and the rest of the Germans. And that because they border on the Rhine and are much resorted to by merchants and are accustomed to the manners of the Gauls by reason of their proximity to them. End quote. You see now what I meant with Roman arrogance, don't you? Caesar ranked the Ubii among the Germans, but since they lived in proximity of the Gauls, they were more advanced and civilized than other Germans. Well, that's what Caesar said. For me personally as a historian, I'd really like to know who they were. But remember, being a Gaul or German was a term that was imposed by the Romans and not by those people who lived there. The question is valid if the UBI even cared about being classified into one of those categories. But once again, how do the UBI fit into this story? Well, it was said that shortly after the UBI, who were best friends with Caesar and Rome, just filled in the empty space in the Cologne lowland after the Eberons got extinguished there. That is in fact not true, because we know now that the Eberons never really settled here. And the Ubii being best friends of Caesar? Not really. The Ubii nearly faced the same fate as the Eberons. It is believed that the Ubii did take part in the uprising, allying with the Eberons against Caesar, sending men from their tribes as troops to attack the, that winter camp in November 54 BCE, as I had just mentioned. When Caesar went on his revenge after the attack on that winter camp that cost him 9,000 men, he didn't just attack the Eberons' territory, of course. Caesar also fought his goal to weaken the allies of the anti-Roman alliance that the Eberons created. That's why he turned his attention to the Treveri on the left bank on the Rhine and their allies, and Caesar considered the Ubi as one of them. He knew that the Treveri and their allies had supported the Eberons and their leader Ambiorix. They had to pay the price for messing with Caesar. So when Caesar attacked the land of the Treveri, he would cross the Rhine afterwards to get a hold of the Ubi again. Did I just say again? Yes, I did, because the Ubii had broken the alliance with Rome in the same way as the Eberons and Traveri had done. Prior, they had even sought the help of Caesar, because even though being a quite powerful tribe, they had been under strong pressure by the Suevi, another tribe on the right side of the Rhine, they had been pushing them more and more out of their territory. Let's listen to Caesar again regarding that topic. Quote, The Ubii also, who alone out of all the nations lying beyond the Rhine, had sent ambassadors to Caesar, and informed an alliance and given hostages, earnestly entreated that he would bring them assistance because they were grievously oppressed by the Suevi, and later on he writes, quote, that they might be safe under the fame and friendship of the Roman people, end quote. So, regarding to Caesar, the Ubii were supposed to be close allies to him, but they betrayed him. Well, Prussian loyalty is still 1700 years away, I guess. 
It is certain that Caesar was on a rampage and was going to crush the Ubi along his way to the Suevi. Why do I think that? Well, he built a bridge over the Rhine. Not one made out of boats and being temporarily built as they did in World War II. No, I mean a real bridge with foundations. And why did he do that? Only so he could raid and pillage Germanic settlements on the right bank as he had planned. He already had done this two years ago. The Germans living close to the Rhine were amazed and intimidated by the art of Roman engineering, just as Caesar had planned. More shockingly for the Germans then, Caesar had commanded to tear the new built bridge down again once he went back with his army to Gaul. So this whole building a bridge thing, back then was a huge deal by the way, was a pure demonstration of Caesar's power. What a boss move. Caesar used this once again built bridge to get to the territory of the Ubii. Again, the Germans had seen the art of engineering and feared that they would get the final payback by Caesar. But then the Ubii were surprisingly spared. Caesar had just crossed the bridge when ambassadors of the Ubii approached him. The Roman general sat down with them and talked. His account of the Gallic Wars surely describes the outcome of these talks. So let's hear Caesar again. Quote, the Ubii, who before had sent hostages and come to a capitulation, sent ambassadors to him for the purpose of vindicating themselves, to assure him that neither had auxiliaries been sent to Treviri from their state, nor had they violated their allegiance. They entreat and beseech him to spare them, lest in his common hatred of the Germans, the innocent should suffer the penalty of the guilt. They promise to give more hostages if he desire them. End quote. Caesar then writes that he had been persuaded that the additional troops of the Treveri hadn't been sent by the Ubi, but by the Suevi, you remember, the other big tribe of the Germans, who were at war with Caesar and were a threat to the Ubi. Caesar knew better, and the Ubi knew better. But here, two forces met that had a common enemy. The Roman general just wanted peace and order at the Rhine, so he could finish his conquest in Gaul. He needed support of loyal local tribes for doing so. Caesar then demanded the submission of the Ubi, on which they complied immediately. So the Ubi were spared of harsh punishment and certain extinction. But now they weren't enemies nor allies anymore, as they had been. The Ubi were now subordinates of the Romans. Now just guess how the other Germanic tribes on the right side of the Rhine River thought about the Ubi now. They certainly weren't too happy, that's for sure. So life for the Ubi on the right bank would become a tough one. They were safe for now, but once Caesar went off again, Romans' protection were very, very far away. Things would worsen soon for the Ubi. Caesar had conquered the Cologne lowland, but didn't secure the right side of the Rhine, where the Ubi lived. And Caesar's focus was already going to other places. And shortly after, he had to win a civil war to gain the ultimate power in Rome. The far east of Gaul and the Rhine were far away and not in Caesar's highest interest anymore in these years. The Ubi were left alone, and it seemed that their recent actions served no benefit. On one hand, they were distrusted by the Romans for disloyalty in the recent past. On the other hand, they were hated by the other Germanic tribes around them for treason and being subordinates of the Romans. You see, there's quite a lot of stuff happening just right before the brink of Cologne being founded. And we'll get to that in the next episode, I promise. So let's finish here for today. I believe this has been quite some input, but it's important to talk about Caesar because he is the first one to set everything in motion that leads to Cologne being founded. I will try to give you some more background, images and especially maps on a companion post on this episode on my homepage. You can check that out under thehistoryofcologne.wordpress.com. 
So, will there be any rescue for the UBI against the threats they are facing? And in how far are they important for the founding of Cologne? Well, if you want to know that, we will discover that in the next episode. So stay around, thank you, and as always, auf Wiedersehen. Musik